Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We want to thank our audience uh, for questions coming from at Uranium Insider, Jackie A, Brent S, and Jared W. We have Bill Sheriff on the line today. Uh, Bill is the chairman of Encore Energy, a U.S.-focused uranium explorer and developer. Encore is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under symbol EU and on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol T-G-R-U-F. Bill, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Well, so where, where are you uh, talking to us from today? Uh, calling from Dallas, Texas. Ah, excellent. Well, uh, I, I got to pull this one on you. So we're a couple hours before the Fed rate decision. Uh, Bill, yeah. where do you see them uh, going with this rate increase? Or are they going to stay the same? Uh, you know, I, I it's, it's really hard to say. Uh, I think there'll be at least one more rate increase, whether they do today or early in the new year. There's been uh, you know, such a... Uh, uh, I don't want to say fear in the market because it's been actually quite an orderly sell-off and uh, everyone seems to be living in Alice in Wonderland and think it's going to come right back and, uh, you know, by the by the dips as always, but this dip's starting to be prolonged and starting to uh, look an awful lot like a bear market. So I, um, I think that so, somewhat irrelevant of, of what the Fed does, I think we're in a bear market and I think we'll be there for a while. And, the rest of the world is, and I don't think the U.S. can withstand that uh, being the only island of prosperity. Uh, so far, natural resources are starting to act a little bit differently in the last uh, couple months. I, I see that uh, you'll have big down days, and you'll see also that you know GDX and, and a lot of the miners are up, uh, even even sometimes uranium as well. Uh, but certainly, the uh, base base and precious metals seem to be uh, performing a little bit better as the market kind of sells off. So that's uh, Interesting. Uh, so, Bill, give us your background going back before the last uranium cycle. Uh, tell us about your ventures during the last cycle and what past successes and failures you are applying to this current cycle. Well, the, the list of failures is probably too long for your program, so why don't uh, we just acknowledge there have been a few, but uh, so far not, uh, not any in the uranium cycle, so maybe I should uh, wisen up and stick to uranium. But... Uh, now, I'm a geologist by education. Uh, I have a master's degree in geology and I've spent a good deal of time in the public markets, uh, having worked as a broker and market maker uh, over a number of years for different firms. Um, been involved with the junior sector for the last 20 some years, uh, and most notably with uh, uh, Energy Metals Corp, which uh, I co founded with Paul Matisic. Uh, started out with a million six uh, market cap in summer of 2004. And uh, during the next uh, 30 months, we amassed the uh, U.S.'s largest uh, historic uranium resource base um, of all time and ended up selling to the uh, somewhat infamous Uranium One and uh, sold out for uh, uh, some, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 1.5 to 1.8 billion, depending on uh, what, what date you use, because it was right at the top and things were rolling over. Uh, but uh, needless to say, the shareholders were quite happy. Not often you get a 30-month run like that in resources. 
it's more of, more of a high tech type run than uh, than resources. So we were quite fortunate and uh, hit uh, hit all of the hurdles at the right time in terms of financing, in terms of uh, acquisitions, announcements, mergers, and putting together a, an elite team of professionals. Uh, I'd say be, really being on top of the uranium market, uh, I still think there's a significant number of uh, players in the junior space that um, could, could probably do with a bit more education in the uranium market. Uh, it's, it's certainly one of the more complicated uh, resource markets out there. The price of uranium is not the only you know, bellwether, if you will, in the industry that uh, determines the uh, health and well-being of uranium miners. Uh, it's the understanding and, and getting a, getting as much of a handle as you can, and, and I don't think anybody can do it fully, uh, on the nuclear fuel cycle, which is uh, you know, all the way from uranium uh, discovery and mining all the way through uh, you know, conversion, enrichment, fabrication, uh, uh, use in the power plants, and then finally decommissioning and, and reclamation uh, of, of, of the facilities. So it's um, many parts of that are interchangeable. Uh, so you don't have uh, just, as I say, a very simple uh, uh, commodity-driven price market. So it's it's uh, a bit more complicated than that. Yes, absolutely. I, we we continue at Smith Weekly Research. You know, folks really need to do do a, a significant amount of due diligence and understanding how things work. And there's there's many aspects, and it's not just uh, you know buying buying some equities and, and uh, with a prayer. Uh, it's certainly a, a very technical, complex uh, market, the uranium space, and folks need to understand everything from digging it out of the ground all the way to to how it works in a reactor, and uh, everything in between. Uh, so, tell me tell me about uh, your your back, and uh, there's kind of an encore, if you will, to to what you've done in the past. Um, so, so give us uh, some information about Encore, and sure. tell us tell us with with that as well. Tell us how you what what is the strategy this time around? Is it very is it a similar strategy this time around with Encore? No, and you know we we may be wrong, but our bets are being placed that it will not be a pounds in the ground game this time. Um, you know that was fun, that was meteoric, uh, it was uh, you know grown up monopoly, if you will. Uh, picking as many properties as you could and, and being in the right spot at the right time. But I think this time will be a uh, uh, different in two main main ways. Number one, I think the price uh, action that we see in uranium will be far less uh, restricted than it was last time. I don't think you're going to see $150 uranium, uh, certainly not in a 30-month time span. Um, I think what you will see, however, is a more sustainable long-term price move, which would be welcome news to the industry that hasn't seen such a thing in probably 40 or 50 years. Um, I think, you know, a sustained move uh, into the upper double digits, say 50 to $90, would be a, a very welcome uh, pricing for, for the industry. And it's hard to predict and, and build future plants and capacity when you don't have any price stability. And so I, I think that'll be one big difference. The other big difference as a result of that is I think it will be uh, production-oriented. Um, not to say there won't be some gains to be made by, uh, you know, the straight explorers and the uh, straight pounds in the ground, but I don't think it'll be a, you know, 200 contestants seeing how many pounds in the ground they can get. All boats rise with the tide. I, I just don't see that coming this time. I think those that can uh, map out a pathway to production um, and... Uh, 
have, have a more uh, mature, if you will, uh, view of the of the marketplace and ability to function in it uh, will, will be rewarded. Okay, and uh, so for those uh, talking about Encore, uh, uh, for those who might not be familiar with the company, give us an overview of the management team, the share structure, the key shareholders, uh, compensation, and the key projects. Sure. Well, the compensation's easy. Nobody's made a nickel on it for the last few years. We've been in a, a hiatus mode. Uh, we were just uh, uh, on the edge of a, of a transformative transformation, uh, literally days before Fukushima. Uh, when that happened, uh, sent a letter out to our shareholders telling them game over for five to ten years, uh, which was not well received, uh, neither by the shareholders or the uh, competitors in the business. I think I had 47 uh, phone calls or, or emails from uh, colleagues in the business saying I was nuts and it was only, uh, you know, a small problem and it would be short-lived. Um, but because of that, our company's uh, gone into cash preservation. Uh, we've got right at a million dollars in the treasury. Um, we've simply keep the company alive and keep the properties and, and have slowly acquired additional properties over the last few years. Um, in terms of who's who's here, we've got pretty much the technical team from Energy Metals intact. Uh, Dennis Stover is our uh, CEO. Uh, Dennis is one of the uh, holders of patents on the uh, in-situ process. Uh, worked for years for Rio Algum, uh, built uh, Inkai in uh, Kazakhstan for uh, uh, Cameco uh, has uh, been in the business since uh, you know the very early days of, of in-situ leaching and is, and is still quite active. Uh, we've also got Mark Beliza on board who uh, spent a great deal of time with uh, uranium resources, uh, did a lot of their permitting, uh, has been uh, involved with uh, the actual running of their uh, in-situ plants in Texas when they were operating there, and uh, has, has a real keen uh, observation on, on pricing and metrics within the uranium industry. And uh, Richard Cherry is also involved with us. Uh, Richard does formerly run General Atomics. Uh, he's uh, acted as a fuel buyer on both sides of the equation, both from industry and, and uh, utilities, and, and as such brings us that level of expertise. Uh, we've also got a gentleman, Joe Harrington, that's involved with us. Uh, that's on the reclamation end, which is uh, critical anytime you're dealing with any kind of uh, resources, but certainly uh, I think maybe even more so uh, when you're dealing with the nuclear industry and uh, the radiometric uh, aspects of it. Um, and, uh, you know, that, those, those are the key members. I'm sure I'm uh, omitting a few and missing a few, but uh, we've also got our landman, Gordon Peake, that's uh, been with us for, for years. So. Basically, um, everyone on and board is being incentivized with options. Um, we've uh, all got uh, been in the industry for a long time. I'm the newbie in the industry. Uh, I haven't only been involved with it uh, for 20-some for years. Most of these guys are, you know, 30 and 40-year veterans of the of the industry, and that um, kind of brings me to, I guess, the, the point that kind of underlies all of this is we, we firmly believe as a company that there is no shortage of uranium. Um, there's a shortage of ability to get it out of the ground and bring it to market. And, That's right. Uh, there's absolutely no shortage of it. And so by and large, uh, we do not uh, have too, too many plans for exploration. Uh, there's quality assets available to be picked up. We've got quite a few in our uh, inventory currently, and there there are certain instances where you will need to do exploration, ourselves included. But uh, 
by by and large, and they're certainly taking nothing away from the big success stories in the Athabasca, where you you know truly looking at monster deposits with uh, monster grade. Um, presumably, there'll always be a, a market for those superior deposits. So exploration in some places makes a lot of sense, but uh, exploration for the sake of exploration in uranium is probably uh, uh, perhaps the one or one of the few commodities that we really just don't need a, a general exploration uh, effort for. Um, right. but, you know, as, as I mentioned before, and I have to apologize to you uh, listeners, I'm a little under the weather here, but uh, so things may be a little disjointed. But um, you know, no one in the company is compensated in, in any way other than the landman on an hourly basis. Uh, none of the officers uh, receive anything other than options. Uh, we are all uh, well incentivized with options. Uh, we have a great be belief in uh, one another, the company. Uh, the projects we have and the future of uranium. So it's uh, with with Encore, you're basically looking at a package of uh, incredible depth of of talent uh, in terms of technical ability, um, coupled with uh, good established projects. Uh, and we've we believe that we've got the fuel cycle covered from uh, discovery through uh, through implementation to um, reclamation. And um, so we look at it as a, a holistic view, and I think that's what we what we offer the investors. Right, and and it's good that uh, you guys have been. It's impressive what you said. With you know, I sent a, sent a letter out to shareholders and said this is over, game over. Uh, congratulations to you for for taking having the visionary uh, leadership to to be able to just do that and be done with it. Whereas other companies, peer companies, even in the U.S. and and in other places, continue to pay themselves lavishly and uh, uh, completely uh, why, why they couldn't mine any more uranium because the price was bad. They decided to go ahead and start mining the shareholders instead. So I, I commend you for your efforts uh, to keep it. We, to keep it going. we weren't, well, we weren't big enough to do that even if we'd wanted to, but we don't, uh, you know, we, we just don't view it that way. And, you know, it's, it's the long-term uh, benefit of the shareholders that, uh, you know, our, our, our interests are aligned and that's uh, where we'll all prosper. Uh, uh, you know, it, when when the time's right in the given market, but you've got to stay in the game to to win it, and that's that's the way we structured the whole company. We and, all, we've uh, also so, got so, uh, Bill Harris on board, who I failed to mention, and and Bill, while he's not a an expert in the uranium field, spent many years at uh, C level positions in Fortune 500 companies, and in fact, we brought him uh, on board uh, simply to. Uh, I don't mean to demean it by simply, but uh, as a sole purpose to uh, meet the Sarbanes-Oxley requirements when our predecessor company, Energy Metals, went to the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we were required to up our game, if you will, in terms of uh, financial uh, accountability, and uh, we were very fortunate to get Bill to join us, and, and he, he serves the same function for us, and good, very good business advice, uh, as well as uh, heading up our audit committee. Okay. So, uh so just just moving uh, kind of to another subject, just briefly, uh, so people can have kind of a, a sure. view of what you what you've been doing, why you've uh, not uh, not been doing much at uh, Encore. So while Encore has been on care and maintenance, if you will, uh, in your spare time, you've been working on advancing Golden Predator, uh, a Canadian focused uh, gold explorer. How are things going there? That's right. Well, they're going quite well. We've uh, been active in the Yukon exclusively since uh, about 2009. And we've been uh, advancing uh, with a renewed interest here uh, of late, uh, the Brewery Creek deposit, where 
We took it from uh, roughly 100,000 ounces. It's former producer, Viceroy operated from 96 to 2002, the world's first uh, sub-Arty keep leach. Uh, and they produced uh, uh, roughly 400,000 ounces of gold during that time. Uh, we picked the property up and um, have, have since taken it to about a million and a half ounces in our latest 4301. I haven't done much work on it since 2013 until this year was our first uh, drilling program. We're going back in looking uh, to improve the metallurgy. There is a PEA out on it, uh, somewhat dated at 2014. It was um, positive economics, uh, even at uh, current current gold prices, but we um, uh, it wasn't compelling, uh, only a 19% IRR. And so we've started looking at ways to maximize or optimize that project. There's still a great deal of uh, unexplored terrain. In fact, our drilling this year uh, illustrated the prospectivity of, of uh, three or four of the new trends. So it's it's taken on a new life, and I think you'll see it move forward uh, to the position to where hopefully we can interest a partner in the in the coming year. Um, our main effort there has been on the three aces, which is a very high-grade orogenic gold deposit um, in southeast Yukon. And that um, that uh, d that uh, deposit uh, has taken from uh, basically an outcrop with a handful of drill holes on it to we put in I think 20 over 30 kilometers of roads and have actually started bulk sampling, uh, actually generating a, a bit of revenue as a byproduct of our scientific efforts uh, pouring gold. And um, these high-grade orogenic veins are uh, such that uh, getting a look at them in 3D through bulk sampling and determining the metallurgy is very important to us. Uh, just wrapped up all oh, probably about six weeks ago our, our winter drill program and look forward to uh, to those results coming out early in the new year as well as uh, an update on the, the bulk sample. This this year's bulk sample was uh, quite uh, significantly larger than our first one. The first one we did 776 tons and produced a little over a thousand ounces of gold. Uh, this year we uh, took in excess of 10 times that sample. So. Um, you know, for to be able to augment your uh, efforts, uh, or at least how I'm partially paid for through uh, through the bulk sampling, uh, while you're learning about the deposit and performing uh, very valuable and necessary metallurgical work, is is uh, a bit of a unique approach, but it's one that served us well there. Well, we'll we'll leave it uh, we'll leave it there with that. We've been watching Golden sure. Predator, Predator from the sidelines, uh, and so it uh, looks like there's some interesting stuff coming up in 2019 for the company and. And we'll leave it there for the audience to go take a look. Um, so, so Bill, back to Encore. Uh, is there any mm -hmm. is there any near term plans to upgrade the U.S. OTC Marcus listing to a QB or QX status? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that. I was just speaking to uh, uh, Mr. Power with uh, OTC Markets this last week, and uh, we would look to do that sometime here uh, in in the next uh, half. Uh, I won't say quarter, but half. So it's something that's on our radar screen. I won't commit to you know an exact date, but we are aware that uh, uh, I believe over half of our shareholders probably uh, are based in the U.S. And certainly, uh, even many of those that are overseas would find it easier to trade with the U.S. listing. So it's something that we're looking at. You know, we we have a very polarized view of the uranium market. Uh, and it's a good segue into that. Um, you know, a lot of the listeners may not be aware, but for many years, in fact, decades, the uranium price uh, had a split price. There were two prices for uranium, one being a free world price and uh, and one being a domestic or a U.S. price. And, of course, that was during the height of the Cold War. Uh, but I think we're on the verge of seeing that again. 
and uh, not not for the same reasons as the Cold War, thankfully. But uh, I think uh, you know there's a Petition 232 that uh, uh, URE and, and um, or UR Energy and uh, Energy Fuels were the sponsors of. Uh, to the Department of Commerce to uh, basically get 25% of the U.S.'s uh, nuclear demand fulfilled through domestic uh, sources by the year 25, uh, 2025. And while I'm somewhat skeptical that you'll see a, a, a response, you know, giving or granting exactly what was asked for, uh, because it might show a bit of favoritism or something, uh, I think you're not unlikely to see some sort of relief granted, whether it be in the form of tariffs or quotas or or some other incentive which uh, would spur U.S. Uh, production. You know, U.S. production right now is in, you know, single, small single digits of, of its need, and it's the world's biggest consumer. And we're relying upon, uh, you know, such stable places as Kazakhstan and, and Russia for a good portion of that uranium. Um, so it's, I think it's a domestic security issue. Certainly that's one that uh, the Trump administration uh, uh, is keenly aware of, and I would uh, uh, not be surprised if we see some sort of uh, support for the domestic industry. Uh, again, we're 100% domestic focused, so we would be a beneficiary uh, uh, of that, and uh, that's why we're 100% domestic focused, is because this is where the uh, world's largest demand for, for uranium is. Um, right. So, so we would, we would uh, be looking for that. Uh, to come along sometime in this uh, calendar year. Uh, we are not nearly as positive as some companies on the worldwide price of uranium. I think we're still probably a couple of years out on it. Um, you know, one of the things we look at for a, for a real market turn is the SWOO price, which very few people follow, but it's the separative work unit price, and you can Google it and pull it up. Yep. Um, and uh, until it starts to move off of the bottom, I don't think any move in yellow cake is going to be. Uh, prolonged and because um, it's basically a, a trade-off in the energy in terms of the amount of um, energy you can put in and squeeze out uh, of a given piece of war uh, to get the uh, fissionable isotope uranium out and uh, right. it, it's a bit of a trade-off here again as I was talking about the fuel cycle it's one of those trade-offs and you kind of have to have everything moving in sync to get a, a prolonged market move and that has not shown any sign of life yet so we think we're early on the international price, but we think the timing might possibly be optimal uh, for the domestic side of things. Right, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this kind of goes because you have uh, a number of issues at play, and I think any po any outcome any outcome on this 232 is positive because it gets it gets it off the table. The utilities, if they have to buy their 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 12 or 12 percent the first year or 25 percent or whatever that is from U U.S. domestic suppliers, that's great. Let's get that going. Let's get that off the table. And then the utilities also are now free to go ahead and fill the remaining of their requirements uh, how they wish to do that. So it kind of. And then on on top of that too, Bill, you have uh, you know R Russia. This is a competition thing too, and and the the 232 oh, yeah. cleaning that up and getting it off there uh, is. Is is the question is 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 the U.S. going to going to start to step back out on a global stage on a global basis and compete for nuclear projects, compete for the fuel cycle, compete by offering financing uh, to these other countries who are looking to get into the nuclear uh, energy mix? And right now, you see Russia and China are leading that. They're taking market share away from the U.S. 
and it is a significant issue and it, and it spans just beyond national security it goes it goes to globally do you want to be do you want to be everybody is going to be influenced by russian and, and chinese financing and and the nuclear uh, the fuel cycles with these other countries or is the u.s going to start to you know take back some of that market share well, that's that's right. It's it's a it's a key consideration, and uh, especially when you're talking about the complete vertical integration. You know, you buy your uh, reactor from Russia, and then you're also on the hook for a 30 or 50 year fuel contract to buy your fuel through Russia. Um, so it's you know it's the turnkey approach that Russia and China are both using, which of course is no, nothing new. That's what Areva's been doing for years. But um, uh, Russia and China, as you say, are, are gobbling up market and market share um, very quickly and largely unopposed at the moment. Right, I think that's uh, that would be critical. But, um, I think here again that the initial step for the domestic industry is some sort of pricing relief or some sort of market support. Uh, here again, be it quotas or uh, tariffs or what have you. I think we'll see something to to spur that. And I think it's also important to note that even so, uh, you know, the, the prime beneficiaries are clearly going to be those guys with the production capabilities or those that are in production in the U.S. being UR Energy and the and uh, energy fuels, so, and, and there's right. probably a couple others, but those are the main ones. Um, but if you start doing the math, it's pretty clear that you can't have current sources that are ready to go on the market in these limited facilities. You can't get to 25% of domestic production by the year 2025 without some significant grade changes or some significant deposits coming online. And that's one of the reasons that we've uh, focused our efforts uh, of late on the uh, higher grade breccia pipes in the Arizona district. Now, uh, you know, those are, they aren't high grade by comparison to Athabasca Basin, but they're certainly high grade in the U.S., uh, probably the highest grade deposits in the U.S. And um, that's the place that we see that we would plan to do a bit of exploration. But these are typically smaller mines, but they're very high grade, uh, generally fairly quickly uh, to bring onto production. And we've got, uh, I think, a dominant land position, a dominant geophysical uh, survey position, and uh, a number of uh, uh, verified pipes uh, that we know are mineralized in that area. So we've got a, an awfully good position there. And it's uh, within tracking distance to energy fuels mill, and while we have no uh, uh, you know, direct guaranteed benefit with them, uh, they are our largest shareholders. So I think we'd certainly have a good place in line to uh, to have access to their milk for, for certainly for a fee, you know, a tolling arrangement. Right, right. And uh, well, we have a, a couple couple points on that I want to get to. Uh, but sure. going back to what you said about, uh, you know, the the capex, you, you, the industry is going to need a few a few billion. The, the capex to get to 25%. All I got to say is you better get the permitting uh, sh shoved aside. You better relax a few things, and you better get the money raised if you're going to have anywhere close to that 25% requirement by 2025. And you you know that's well, that's a that's right. uh, a challenge to get that done. And, and it, even, it is. We had, and we had uh, we had talked to Bill just uh, uh, I don't know it was probably a month ago we had talked to to Walter Coles of Virginia Energy uh, Junior, and he said. Uh, he was very optimistic. He was he was incredibly optimistic on how he thinks that this is actually going to play out. And of course, as you know, they've been in the heat with you know the Supreme Court and and so forth. So, but he's he's extremely optimistic on the outcome of this Section 232. No, I think so, and I think it solves a lot of other problems as well. There's uh, you know a certain certain taint uh, in the current uh, Washington politics about Russia. 
and uh, I think you can cure two uh, two two ills with one uh, action here. You know, you can uh, uh, effectively slap Russia around a bit, uh, or maybe not. Maybe that's not the right word, but uh, you know, uh, have a hard line against Russia, and at the same time prop up domestic uranium all with the same action. So I think you get a uh, the politicians. I think will see a twofer here, and, and uh, they may not always do what's right, but they always know what's economical in terms of vote getting. So. Right, and there might be kind of a kind of a backhand slapped on on uh, this this uh, domestic domestic boost uh, in in wake of the the uranium one uh, politics. Uh, so it, it'd be absolutely. I think you know, yeah, definitely get a, a multiple uh, multiple points there. You know. <laughs> and, um, so um, uh, so those those who aren't up to speed on the acquisition of Metamen, can you give us the legal status of the projects in Arizona? On state lands, yes. and also on federal lands. That's a great question because it's uh, a complex issue that's uh, pretty well misunderstood, I would say, by most. Um, you know, with a broad brush, there is a temporary moratorium against uh, exploration for uranium in and, and around the Grand Canyon area, which uh, is basically northern Arizona. Uh, it does not affect state land. It does not affect private land, and it does not affect all federal land. Um, there's uh, probably 70% of our targets are affected, but I think more importantly, we've got uh, I think a dozen uh, of which three or four are verified uh, mineralized pipes that are clearly outside of that. So we're, we're free to go along, and 12 of our projects are bonded and uh, ready to have exploration on them. So, you know, it. Uh, if you go back and look at the consideration that was paid, uh, clearly we uh, acquired a pretty impressive database, pretty good land position for for very little consideration other than uh, welcoming Metamen in as a as a significant shareholder to Encore. Um, but that is simple. That whole transaction was valued with a substantial discount of that uh, withdrawal in place, uh, partially in. In alignment with, not in conjunction with, but on the coattails of 232, we've been doing quite a bit of lobbying in uh, in Washington, and one of the few things we've actually spent any money on uh, to get that relaxed. Uh, and you know, obviously, we we're quite happy with the position we've got, uh, even if the ban were to stay in place. But if that ban were to be removed or, or relaxed or partially removed, uh, specifically on the northern side of the canyon, which is uh, less populated and more heavily influenced by Utah than Arizona. Uh, and we do have uh, some pretty broad political support to get that reversed uh, on that side. Uh, that would be a real win for uh, Encore. Um, it would be basically taking 70% uh, of the projects that were valued at nothing during the transaction and, and overnight transforming those into, uh, you know, some first-rate exploration projects. Right. The deal was cheap. Uh, it was certainly pennies on the dollar, from what I see here. Um, so, so can you clarify? Because I don't even know. Uh, is is the band uh, lands? Is that just a national park boundary or what? No, the national park. You can't operate inside the national park anyway, and it's a fairly small area. the The band is applied to uh, Grand Country, Grand Canyon Country area, which is a a bit of a nebulous uh, area, but it it encompasses uh, essentially. Uh, a good portion of the land, or at least checkerboarded land, part, bit, parts of the land between uh, the interstate uh, that runs between uh, Flagstaff and, and Gallup, uh, I think it's I-40, uh, and the Utah border. 
and so it's a it's a wide swath of land. It's not the entire blanket, but it's it's a good portion of land in there. Here again, uh, there's bits and pieces. There's access to the projects, uh, so it's not uh, you know a blanket uh, moratorium, but it certainly has affected a large uh, and what we think is a, an unfair and disproportionate amount of the land. Uh, and we we think we'll see some relief on that uh, uh, one way or another here over the course of the next. Uh, a year or two. Um, I think it's super important that here again, these are the high grade projects. If you want to make your 25 by 25, you need to open those up. Um, right. Because there's there's just no other source of that high grade deposit in the uh, in the U.S. Right. And and with that, you know, you have uh, you have projects you can ex more or less exploit there in Arizona now. And the ones that are Correct. that are you know under under ban you know the government's kind of uh, just just kind of watching that for you kind of taking care of it why uh, the ban uh, gets lifted so <laughs> not yeah we, we view it as a bit of a you know it's a winning lottery ticket you know we we felt uh, that we get a very good price on the assets that are not encumbered when we did the deal and anything that uh, you know that we can pry loose from the ban is is uh, you know. Icing on the cake or gravy or you know, however you want to however you want to look at that, but certainly something that's uh, uh, potentially an unexpected windfall for us. Okay, so so and it's also part of our longer term strategy. I might I might just kind of mention that that's you know the company's far more than those. Those are just the latest additions. Our our key holdings for the long term uh, are our in situ holdings in New Mexico, and that's where the bulk of our pounds are. Uh, we've already got substantial resources there. Uh, both at Crown Point, uh, Hosta Butte, and at Marquez. Marquez, I would note, is on private land, uh, much closer to about halfway between Albuquerque and uh, the Navajo Reservation. And, um, you know, we, we've got um, substantial resources on all of those projects. Um, we've got 43101 resources on Crown Point and Hosta Butte. Uh, we've got uh, historic uh, resources uh, at Marquez. And uh, those are just going to take a little bit longer. Uh, we many people view New Mexico as a, a place that you just probably aren't going to be able to do much work. We think it's a completely different uh, ball game. We think you've got to make it to where the local population, wherever you are, uh, be it New Mexico or anywhere else, has a reason to want you there. And in order to do that, you've got to align interests. And in order to do that, they have to have a piece of the action. It's that simple. That's right. And uh, we, we don't have any problem with that. We've employed the same strategy as you'd mentioned in Golden Predator in, in the Yukon, working with uh, indigenous people there. Uh, we enjoy uh, great support there uh, because of the same approach. And right. uh, we, we think that uh, we think that approach is, is not uniquely uh, favorable there. We think it's pretty much universal. If you can get people a reason to want you there, you stand a heck of a lot better chance of being able to move forward. So that's what we'll be doing there. You know, you, you look at um, the predecessor entitled to that property, and we, we've got about half of the resources there, and, and uh, Laramide's got uh, a good chunk of them there as well. And you know, the predecessor company spent I don't know 20 or 30 million dollars in an equal number of years fighting uh, for their rights in court, and they weren't one day closer to going into production at the end of that than they were at the beginning. And um, you know, so I, I think that uh, a different approach is is clearly warranted, and, and um, we, we think a like I say, alignment of interest is key to moving any of these things forward in any of this business. So we're we're pretty keen on uh, on, on taking that approach. But we've got 
you know, just just mentioning those resources, we've got uh, you know, 26 million uh, pounds of uh, 43101 U308 at uh, Crown Point and Hosta Butte uh, in the indicated category, and six six million pounds more in the inferred just on, on those two projects. So those are the those are the real uh, key projects. We've also got uh, mineral rights covering. Uh, uh, 46,000 hectares or 113,000 acres of uh, prime hunting ground in the uh, in the New Mexico area. Uh, formerly uh, private, it's all privately held mineral rights. It's the former railroad checkerboard that runs through there. So um, you know the company's got a, a real pipeline of projects uh, in terms of shorter term small projects in Utah that can get funded or can get into production in a short period of time because they're dry and, and Utah's a an agreement state that is you don't have to go through the NRC to permit. You can do it at the state level. Uh, being dry, you can get mines into production in uh, certainly under 12 months. Um, you know, they're small, but it would be some cash flow. And then that gives us time to work on the breccia pipes in Arizona, which are sort of an intermediate term, and then long term are these big, big deposits in New Mexico. And uh, those are in the five plus year time frame. So it's, it's a whole pipeline of uh, projects, and we think it's uh, it's not a mishmash of projects. It's been put together with that timeline in mind, uh, because so many of these things take so long to get going. It, it, uh, it's kind of a stepping stone strategy to get uh, from from where we are now to uh, being a producer down the road. Right. Well, you've got you've got a suite of stages, and that's that's what's attractive is is you have these different projects at different stages, and you can kind of put together that pipeline, uh, you know, U.S. domestically. And so that's a good setup. And then, of course, you, you mentioned the community outreach and the, the work with the sovereign nations. That that's very important. And as as you know, it's it's key to bringing any project to life. And and then with that, you know, with the projects and so forth, you can ramp up and you know start small and expand later as as pricing uh, the price environment gets good and cash flow starts in. So um, on that kind of same little bit of the same subject on the projects, so the recent deal with Vein Minerals. Uh, tell us what you like about those projects, and is there something there that's going to be immediate focus? You know that that basically dovetailed into the Metamin acquisition of the Breccia Pipelands. Uh, this cemented, and we were very heavy on the northern side of the Grand Canyon with those Breccia pipes. This largely was done to acquire their database, which is not restricted to the withdrawn lands. Obviously, it covers a lot of that as well. Um, but it basically can be looked at as completing our, our play on the Arizona Breccia pipes. And here again, at, at even a the Metamin acquisition was very economical. This one was even more economical. Um, you know, this this one was, um, and it also gives us a, a first right to acquire anything they come up with. Um, I don't view that as as being that critical because they don't plan to be active. I know that primarily in oil and gas company, but uh, I think the uh, the main you know, the main real thing is it completes our uh, Bradshaw pipe package in terms of data, in terms of, you know, millions of dollars worth of geophysics. And these Bradshaw pipes are, are getting, you know, the science of them has advanced so much over the years that uh, uh, through VTEM uh, geophysics, they're fairly uh, straightforward to identify. Uh, then the only question is, are they mineralized or not? You can generally tell that with a drill hole or two. Um, but to complete right. that data package, uh, you know, any relaxation in, in that withdrawal area that data is going to pay uh, you know pay dividends and quickly quickly and significantly uh, so it was it was like I say basically just uh, I wouldn't call it a key transaction but one to complete our uh, 
our data package and our play in that uh, high-grade broadchurch pipe area. Okay, so the North Wash project, is there any interest in this project and or do you have an idea who might be looking to acquire this one? You know, I don't know, although I do know that it's subject to other discussions and that's why it was excluded from the deal. Okay, okay, well that'll be interesting to see how that, that kind of plays out. Um, so uh, moving on, uh, as uranium prices move higher, what projects will kind of be the focus and at what price will you start to hard charge towards production? Well, here again, I think um, it's a twofold answer. You know, when we see some positive, uh, you know, the report to commerce is supposed to be out in April, I think. Uh, as we get uh, some inclination as to which way that's going to go, even before a decision's made, if the report comes out as we think it will, uh, I think you'll see us start working um, on the longer-term project of, of the community uh, with respect to the New Mexico issue. That's going to be something we'll start on immediately, um, just because it's going to take some time. Um, the other thing that uh, I think you'll see is uh, a, a move once the prices start to move, and here again, I think you'll see that confirmed through the SWOO price. Um, I, I think that uh, the next step would be to concentrate on our, our smallest assets, actually, but, but our quickest uh, to market, if you will, and those would be uh, some of the smaller deposits in uh, eastern Utah. Uh, but, you know, we've got uh, historic resources in front of us, uh, or in the face, if you will. I don't have 43101s on them, but uh, here again, uh, have extensive drilling by previous operators. And uh, while they aren't big mines, they could establish, uh, given the right uh, parameters, could establish a bit of cash flow for the company, uh, providing that uh, you know, we can get to the door first and take advantage of any toll milling uh, availability that uh, White Mesa might have. And, okay. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we'll be doing some uh, drilling on our advanced, more advanced uh, retro pipe targets because those those would be the real uh, keys to to making some money over the next uh, you know five to six year time frame. So on till, on uh, toll milling. Um, so how is the relationship at this point with Energy Fuels, and what information can you share related to the ongoing discussions related to the renewal of the toll milling agreement at White Mesa? Well, I, I guess without getting obviously with ongoing negotiations, you don't want to get too specific. But uh, I think the keys are, uh, you know, to get to get to their door first in terms of uh, having some product to mill. Uh, so I think you know, uh, there's a, there's a, a cast of characters that would like to use their mill for toll milling. Clearly, uh, a certain amount of first come first serve will probably be involved there. Probably a sign of, uh, of at least some. Uh, faith in, in us and our ability and, and they obviously have a vested interest so I don't know how how, how else to phrase that uh, you know, we certainly are not uh, looking at anything that's exclusive um, but nonetheless I think we'll be uh, I think we'll uh, have a, more more than a fair shot at it okay well very well and you got you know ISR ISR projects as well in the in kind of the portfolio there um, so uh, on the same, same yeah, in fact, they're a bigger. Them. They're actually a bigger portion of the overall project because those New Mexico projects are ISR for the most part, and uh, you know that's where a, an awful lot of depth uh, of talent in our in our company is is in the ISR uh, field. Although we do have some conventional background as well, so so we're well well covered on that end. Uh, you know, and obviously we'd like to have a no, and like to have an exclusive toll milling agreement, but. Uh, uh, you know who who wouldn't right now? Uh, but we, we right. think we're in a good position to to get to the front door uh, relatively right. quickly with some product and, and and make some progress along those lines. 
So with with some of the projects uh, up in Wyoming um, and so forth, um, is is the is the potential of constructing a new mill during this cycle for Encore? Is there a is there still that possibility? Is that on the table? And and what what state do you think would be a good place? Well, I think the first state you got to look at is whether or not they're in agreement state. And um, here again, this goes back to some of the details or nuances of the industry. And obviously, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission uh, in the U.S. regulates uh, anything nuclear, transportation, uh, mining, uh, exploration, power, power plants, every every aspect of it they, they regulate. And they do so at a very high cost, and you pay for it as a proponent. Uh, you actually pay for their time reviewing your project. So uh, I think um, you know what what you see there with the uh, uh, agreement states is uh, where the states have demonstrated a proficiency to the NRC, such that the states can regulate the nuclear activities within their state. Wyoming, especially yeah, right. with respect yeah. to Mon uh, Wyoming, has just now become an agreement state. Um, Utah's been one for a long time. Utah's a great place to do business. Um, yeah. Because not only are they an agreement state, they've been doing it a long time. So they've got the, the system down, the parameters down, et cetera. Um, you know, Arizona, less so. It's not an agreement state. Um, so you end up dealing with the NRC there. Uh, New Mexico is the same way. Um, clearly, you know, we, we would like to see them, both of those, become agreement states, and there's some possibility of that. Uh, you know, here again, it's, it's largely a, a political discussion. And uh, those uh, winds kind of change with uh, with each election, uh, right? So we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens. But uh, clearly, the road to production and at least the permitting end of it is better and easier in an agreement state. As to whether or not we will entertain building a mill, I don't really see that um, as anything that's you know in the next five to ten year time horizon. You, you ask about this cycle. I don't know why it's hard to answer that because I think this cycle actually may last 20 or 30 years, which would be new to the industry. You know, most of the cycles right. have been, been very brief, um, but we're looking for a, you know, a less exciting, uh, you know, no, no skyrocketing price, but a sustainable, long-going uh, industry, which would be welcome. So I, I would prefer to answer that by saying I don't see that happening in the next five to 10 years uh, for, for Encore. There's a number of facilities around that uh, you know potential deals could be worked on, uh, potential upgrades. Uh, several of them are mothballed, so it would take some work to get them going again. Uh, there are some licensed plants that are just uh, completely inoperative that need a lot of work to get going, uh, but that license is worth something in itself. So I think those are the things that we'd be looking at rather than doing something on our own. The the one possible exception to that might be in terms of a, a leach project. Um, and it's been years since there's been a, a leach project, uh, and by that I mean surface leach in the U.S. But uh, it's not inconceivable that certain deposits uh, would, would lend themselves to a, a heap leach project. Right. And that, that's something that uh, we, we might be looking at on our uh, to, to conceivably be handled more by ourselves than uh, with, with other uh, conventional milling. Right. Well, that that's a uh, interesting twist to it. Um, so, so uh, pick pick a state for me. Uh, what's what's the best? And I, I like Utah uh, just for a number of things, not just their mining their mining uh, friendliness, but just the state across the board is good. <laughs> Economics are great there. So, give me pick give, give me a state that you like uh, jurisdictionally for uranium. 
I think you know I think I'd have to pick Utah at the top. You know, I mean it's uh, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, there's a surprising amount of political support coming from Utah to open up the northern end of uh, the, the Grand Canyon, and here again, that's because it's the Utah communities that benefit from that, or 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 don't <laughs> under the current situation. Um, you know, the the population centers that would work in any sort of a mine or any sort of a development uh, in northernmost Arizona up near the Utah border are all located in Utah. So. Um, even even though they don't directly control the you know the, the Arizona situation, uh, they they certainly can exert some influence at the national level in terms of getting uh, that ban lifted, and that's something that we're working on. Um, right, and have had uh, public public support uh, at, at various levels expressed for that, uh, and, and even congressional support. So so that that's important, and I think it just expresses. Uh, what you're talking about is the you know the feeling and attitude in Utah. It's a can-do. Uh, Open for business state, and uh, you know, so we would, um, you know, and in fact, that's where our first efforts would be with our, even though they're smaller deposits, um, you know, here again with that attitude it's, and being an agreement state, it's a lot easier to get the production there, you know, given the right conditions. Right, and I'm, you know, I, I, my second one for me would be Wyoming, and I'm not from neither one of those states, uh, but I have have done some business with both of them, uh, different different things. Um, and Utah is just no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Wyoming's got a heck of a lot better, bigger uh, uranium endowment than Utah, um, so it's you know it's clearly you know got uh, the lion's share of the action. Your energy's up there, of course, and you know Cameco's still got quite extensive holdings there. Uh, uh, you know, there's uh, quite a few plants uh, sitting there, so. You've still got the Sweetwater Mill that's idled there in the southwest corner of the state, and you've got a couple of ISL uh, plants up, uh, you know, further to the northeast. So <clears throat> Wyoming is, uh, you know, it's, it's an area that we have not got a lot uh, of projects in now, but we'd certainly like to expand given the right opportunities. We're we're always looking, um, but uh, you know, it has to has to make sense to. Uh, to the company in terms of the overall economic impact and, and their, uh, you know, ability to finance it. Right. Those those states among just a couple few others, uh, you know, Utah specifically. These are these are model states that other states within the United States need to look at. I mean, there's there's only a few left, and they have incredible economics, and they are a model uh, socially, economically, politically across the board for other states to they should copy, but. Not sure that's going to happen, but nonetheless, we do like these uh, these regions, um, and that's and that's coming from me being from Oregon, which I, I can't speak too positively of. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on to another, um, what uh, is Incor planning to remain in the U.S. only, uh, or is there yes. a view to consider other jurisdictions? Nope, we're we're quite happy in the U.S. Um, you know, the U.S. is 22 to 24 percent of the world's market for uranium, depending on which survey you look at, and um, we don't see it, uh, you know, as, as we'd already spoken, getting up to 25% domestic production of that of that demand will be quite a challenge uh, and, and quite a welcome mandate uh, should it come by. So we view the metrics of the grading business as quite favorable for the U.S., and that's where we intend to stay. Okay. Well, that sounds good, and, and we've already kind of covered the Section 232 stuff and how that outcome uh, is, is pending, and, and there'll probably you and I both agree that there'll be some kind of a positive outcome come out of that. Um, so, 
uh, kind of moving. Stage is certainly now. set for it. Yeah, yeah stage is yes. set for it. Yeah, it really. I can't see it getting much better. It really is set quite well. Um, so you've been in the business for quite a while, uh, including your past success during the last cycle. From a from a global perspective, or you know, from even domestically, um, is there any other uranium businesses and specific industry veterans that still exist today that you like or want to mention? Um, you know, I think um, the, the real key and, and one, of, one of our needs uh, is finding uh, some young blood to, to integrate into the business. You know, the biggest single problem uranium faces in the long run uh, really is personnel. And we've you know, with the exception of that uh, two-year blip we had last time, we've we've missed several generations of technical ability that have not gone into the uranium business that have gone elsewhere. I mean, it's um, it's hard to find uh, uranium experts under 60 years old, and you know that's going to become a real issue. And uh, so, you know, when you look around, um, you've got you've got to have I think companies that have experience not just in in one of the aspects of, of the fuel cycle, but all of them, as well as some sort of program to uh, bring along some young blood, because that's uh, going to become a, an ever increasing issue. I think yeah, I agree with you, and uh, we've we've talked. Uh, uh, Dustin Garo and I have talked about that. Uh, Dustin's been on and, and had a discussion about that before. Even uh, John and uh, John Borjoff has, has mentioned that as well about the lack of operational expertise, not only in the mining side, but Bill, all the way through the fuel cycle, the the oh, yeah. nuclear engineers, uh, the the training for for operators at plants. I mean, the whole the whole industry is is significantly lacking. Yep, yep. No, it, it's it's a real critical uh, problem, and that uh, it goes back ag again to the one place that's not the factor, and that's in China and Russia, and that's part of why they're, uh, you know, getting increasing dominance in a field that, quite frankly, we should not uh, not be happy of, with them having. You know, right. they they don't have a shortage. They've been educating people right and left to do these jobs. Uh, you know, there's there's been a instead of a a skipping of generations, there's been a push to to increase it, and uh, I think that's uh, you know nuclear energy. Uh, while it's a nice peaceful thing, I, I think that it's certainly a, you know obviously got other more sinister uses. And I think to to have people that are not necessarily uh, uh, to use my own words, they don't have their interests aligned with ours. <laughs> and I don't think that it's a business that we really want to fall uh, very far behind in, but. Uh, you know, without some serious efforts to change, we, we're going to fall even further behind. Right. No, that's, that's absolutely correct. And uh, there's no better time to uh, align the stars and, and light a fire under the behinds of, of uh, the industry. So it certainly is the uh, the way to go. Um, so I, I hope that uh, that's being viewed uh, and starting to come out. And with the Section 232, that might be one of the catalyst indicators for the industry to kind of get back going in the right direction. Um, so It is. And one other thing I might might also mention, you know, you're talking about other companies. How about another project? Uh, and this, I think, has real profound implications for the public acceptance of nuclear energy. And that's something that uh, Westinghouse, even though they sold their nuclear uh, power plant division, uh, they have nonetheless remained in the nuclear fuel business. 
and they've come up with, uh, and it's actually ironically called Encore, spelled the same way. Um, we had the name first, but uh, I don't think we'll give them too much trouble about using it. Uh, but uh, uh, what they've done is they've actually gone in and, and they've been designing, uh, trying to design a fuel rod that will not melt down. Uh, which, if you can come up with a fuel that is meltdown proof, um, I think you'll go a long ways towards uh, establishing a more public acceptance of nuclear energy. And they have gone through uh, pilot scale testing. Uh, basically what they're doing, instead of cladding a nuclear fuel rod uh, all the way down, they're actually making uh, segments so that the cladding actually extends into the rod and each one's uh, in essence about an inch long pellet of, of uh, zirconium alloy clad material uh, with the nuclear fuel bundle inside. They're not bundled, but the nuclear fuel rod inside that cladding. Um, and it slows down the reaction, uh, not just between rods, but also up and down vertically within the rod, enough to where the heat generated won't melt it down. And it goes into commercial testing this year. Uh, and if that proves a positive, I think it could have profound and, and revolutionary changes to the industry. So I would uh, say that you know that that's something that too many people are watching. The school price is something that too many people are watching. And then of course 232, there's a lot of eyes on that. But I think those are your three key developments. And uh, and for us, of course, some you know some relief on the uh, land situation in Arizona would be beneficial. Not not integral to our success, but it certainly would be uh, icing on the cake. But those are the things to keep an eye on, in my opinion. And I would add that uh, the uh, now that you mentioned technology, you know the uh, the Lightbridge fuel, uh, the the work that they're doing there at Lightbridge is is interesting. Certainly has some time to go, uh, but certainly interesting in what they're doing there with the fuel rod technology and how they're improving the safety ratings and, and the efficiency of the the fuel. And then also too, I, I have to make a mention of New Scale. It's just coming fresh off my mind. Uh, just had a conversation with uh, Jay Serena at New Scale, which is out of, uh, incidentally, out of Oregon, um, and their progress with yeah. the NRC uh, launching the SMRs. And I think that uh, this technology, uh, Bill, has incredible potential to uh, be a real game changer uh, in the next, uh, you know, 10 years. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I I think I think those are the sort of things that can revolutionize the industry and make it uh, you know more acceptable if you, if you can get the safer design. Absolutely. So uh, uh, looking looking uh, on on the competitor side, I want to twist your arm just a little bit more. Is, is there any competitor companies uh, domestically that, uh, that that you like or uh, anything you want to mention? Well, I think clearly, yeah, I mean clearly, energy fuels and UR energy being in production at the right time. I mean, if you're in production when this starts, uh, just look at uh, you know the, the best example is how well Mustania, even though it was a private company, look how well they did during the last uranium boom because they were one of the few small companies in production when the price hit. And uh, not, not only did they benefit, heck, they they basically established the spot price because they were one of the few sellers into the spot market. Um, and, and Paul Gorenson was was running that project at the time, incidentally, uh, but in South Texas. But um, so I think you know clearly, anytime you're in production, you've got a, a leg up on the competition. So you know you, you are in, in energy fuels are, are certainly right in there. Um, you know, UEC certainly has uh, the the ability to produce with the Hobson plant. Um, you know, that was the plant that Energy uh, Energy Metals refurbished. 
and then uranium one sold off to uh, um, the folks there and, and have moved that forward. Um, not sure what their resource status is or plans to go into production, but you know they've certainly got a plant. And um, but you know I, I guess my favorites are still uh, UR and, and energy fuels just because they're the you know established leaders. Uh, you know they they aren't as big as Cameco uh, or anything like that, but uh, they they both uh, and UR I know has several projects uh, with some with some decent life. I don't know the intimate details, and you know not in the business of recommending other companies too often, but uh, you know I, I think you can't escape looking at those two. Sure. Well, very well. I appreciate you making some comments on that. Um, so looking ahead to 2019, what are the key tasks, uh, even 2020, uh, what are the key tasks that uh, Encore is looking to accomplish and how will it position itself to kind of take advantage of uh, potentially what looks to start looking like uh, some improving uranium prices? Well, I think we have to have confirmation of that. And, uh, you know, that, there are two things. Uh, on, on a worldwide basis, some confirmation that pricing is going to go up, which I'm still skeptical we'll see this year. Um, I, I, as we've talked, I view the domestic situation very differently. Uh, so when we see some encouragement, uh, like a report coming out of committee or a report coming out of commerce uh, endorsing this, uh, such that it's teed up ready for uh, either congressional or presidential action, um, you know, I think that will be our our note at which we'll need to start getting aggressive, both on the uh, uh, small. Uh, mine front in Utah or you know in terms of looking at our projects there to see if we can develop some production quickly out of that um, uh, you know, based on the historic numbers there uh, or, uh, or I shouldn't say or and at the same time uh, start a what I would view as an aggressive uh, effort at the community level in New Mexico uh, to to move those things forward um, so uh, you know a very short-term oriented one as well as a very uh, long-term oriented one and uh, you know in terms of our efforts in, in Arizona those lobbying efforts go on um, we aren't waiting on anything we're moving forward on those that have been for the last few months uh, probably better part of a year now um, about the only thing we spend money on other than keeping our projects and um, you know I think the the one thing that would create a bit of difference there is you know once we see the actual um, uh, positive action taken on with reference to 232 or the domestic pricing uh, I think at that point we'll probably break out the drill rig and, and poke some holes in uh, uh, some of the more advanced projects in Arizona that are not affected by uh, any, any adversities right now so so you've okay. basically got three things three things to look forward to in terms of of that and they, they actually hit our, our short midterm and long-term plans uh, in addressing each of them to, to differing degrees but um, Quite frankly, they all need something. You know, we've been surprised with government before, and as positive as I am about 232, um, you know, we're going to wait before we spend, uh, you know, any of our precious resources in terms of capital or look at raising any more until we get at least a report out of committee. And um, just like uh, Judge Flynn's sentencing yesterday caught everybody off guard, as it was a complete misdirection from what people had been talking about, you just never know with the government. And um, you know the, lob the there is a lobbying effort with some of the utility uh, uh, buyer fuel buyers to squash 232, and uh, I think it's not terribly aggressive on their part. I think it's mostly uh, talk, 
um, but obviously it increases their cost, even though it's you know a very minimal amount. Um, but they're they're at least making the talk. So while I'm incredibly optimistic, and I think the odds are 95% at least that we'll get some sort of action, we're going to wait till we see at least some something out of committee on that. And uh, that'll be our sign. That'll be our sign to move forward. And, and I think uh, the uranium market will have advanced enough to where at that point we can look at doing a you know a bit of financing. But you know at the 10 to 15 cent level we don't have any interest in financing. We've got cash to carry on with what we need to right now. Very well. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and there's certainly uh, <clears throat> you know there's there's no reason to to jump the gun here. So I think with you guys and the and the conservative nature of this this company, I think it makes sense just to kind of wait it out. And you guys are already uh, taken a few actions to kind of prepare, and those those have obviously been well noted as we discussed earlier. So how can uh, potential investors get more information, and and how can they contact uh, Encore Energy? Well, then they can contact myself. Um, my my email is wms at encoreenergycorp.com. Um, I know a bit of a cumbersome email, but nonetheless, uh, wms at encoreenergycorp.com. Um, and they can look forward to a new website. Or, I mean, literally, we, we haven't updated the website in two years. Um, and here again, that was part of our austerity program. Uh, we will have one, a new website out before the end of the year updated. Um, all of our regulatory filings, financials, et cetera, can be found on CDAR.com. But in terms of you know the ease of having them on a website, uh, new website, new uh, PowerPoint presentation, all of those things will be uh, here by the end of the year. And um, at, at such time, we'll also put on a news announcement just so the world knows we're 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 still here and uh, haven't gone anywhere and uh, simply been maintaining the shop and improving our position during the last few years. Okay. So a bit of a, yeah. a reemergence, if you will. And I'm just looking at that website now. It's in front of me. It's uh, incoreenergycorp.com. So it's uh, pretty simple. Right. Or you can just Google it, and it's probably the first hit. So uh, pretty simple to uh, to get more information about the company. It is, and like I say, I apologize for the out-of-date information, but uh, we, we literally have not spent any penny that we didn't have to spend over the last couple of years. So and it's uh, you know, it's served us well at this point to have a complete treasury and ready to ready to do something. So certainly, certainly commendable. Appreciate uh, you taking the time today, Bill, and uh, and good luck. Oh, thank you very much. I look forward to uh, better times ahead for the uranium market.